0: Everybody walked away, so I'm going to take this off. <laughs> well, hello, church. Welcome, neighbors. It's, um, it's good to be gathering together um, and to get to see some faces. Miss Rodlin last week commented um, she could tell that I had had some coffee and that I was preaching with some people actually in the room because the sermon was a little bit more enlivened. Uh, It's a lot easier to talk to faces than it is to talk to the dead eye of a camera. So um, super thankful, Um, honestly, super thankful for that camera. It's something that we don't really think about, but that camera is actually a really nice HD camera that we got for free that God gave us Six years ago, before we ever needed it, and, and now we have used it so much. It's been a workhorse, so, and that was a blessing to us from uh, the team in Sebring. So thankful for God's continued provision for us, and, and we've been able to stay connected over these months that we've been separated um, without much of a hiccup, really, other than the awkwardness of getting used to doing Zoom stuff, um, because God had blessed us and set us up beforehand to be able to do that. So that's really, really Awesome. I'm excited about that and just want to say, you know, thanks as you're praying. Give thanks to God for receiving for and how they've blessed us. Um, we've been in a series that we've called Break the Cycle, and we've been looking at the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, we've been looking at how the nation of Israel over and over again was spiraling through what we've called a sin cycle. Over and over again, God would give them security. He'd give them peace. But that peace led to their apathy, and they would choose to sin and rebel against God. Their sin led them into slavery and oppression. Their oppression led them to cry out to God for supplication. And finally, God would save them. They went through this sin cycle seven times, um, and now we're all excited to kind of put that on the shelf a little bit. Um, But we ended in chapter 16 with Samson, and his story uh, was unsettling, maybe, to say the least. If you haven't read that story in a while, um, it's fascinating to see what it is that God is doing through a guy who absolutely rejected God's plans for him. And God continued to use him. And, and, and beginning in chapters 16 through 21, the last couple of chapters of the book of Judges, I'm just going to tell you um, a rated R. They're, they're rated X. It's not light reading. If you think the Bible is safe and sanitized and clean, then I would just say that you probably haven't read it and particularly haven't read uh, the book of the, last, the end of the book of Judges. What the author does is he takes... Uh, He stops this chronological thing, where he's telling stories in chronological order, and he says, okay, you get the idea, Israel's messing up, let me show you just how bad it was, and he gives a a list, not in chronological order, of the worst of the worst of everything that happened in this 800-year period that we call the time of the judges. I'm not going to read it for you, I'm going to summarize it for you. It begins with corruption and bribery of spiritual leadership. The people who were supposed to be spiritually leading the people become corrupt, they're bribed, they begin to worship other gods, that's in chapter 17. Then those corrupt people begin to steal other idols to lead the people in false worship. Then you see um, manipulation and inhospitality, which you don't think are really that big of a deal, but it's characteristic of, of people who've rejected God. They're manipulating each other and they're inhospitable towards one another, which leads to, uncomfortably, a homicidal gang rape and the dismemberment of the victim of that rape, and all of that begins a genocidal civil war. Crazy. I, I can see the shock in your eyes because you guys got your masks on. We're just going by eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not clean stuff. It is, it is the evidence of, of Israel's fully embrace of their sinful life. Um, and then they have sanctioned objections, sanctioned abductions. So it becomes legal to steal women to be your wives in order to fix the genocidal civil war that they caused. It gets worse, and it gets worse, it gets worse. And when you think it's gotten as bad as it possibly could, it gets worse again. The book of Judges is not pleasant. And it closes with, in these last couple of chapters, there's a a refrain that repeats over and over again. In those days, there was no king in Israel. It happens in the beginning of chapter 17, the beginning of chapter 18, the beginning of chapter 19, and at the end in 21. In those days, there was no king of Israel And maybe this will sound familiar to you, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You do you. YOLO. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes and it didn't get better. It was worse. Judges is not a super encouraging book. Um, it's not pleasant to read, it's not pleasant to walk through, but I think it has been helpful for us in this time to take a closer look at it and to look at some of the transitions. But as we look in this period of this book, there's, there is actually another book that happens within the same period that I'd like to actually go through the whole book together with you this morning. The book is called Ruth, um, and I actually have to turn there. I didn't turn there beforehand. And if you want to use those blue Bibles that we've got, it's on page 279. It's the book of Ruth. And I'm actually going to summarize most of the book for us. We'll read a small section at the end. Um, But Ruth begins with, uh, or Ruth interacts with, uh, Ruth is a person from the nation of Moab. And Moab is a Canaanite is a Canaanite nation that God actually takes care of in the Book of Judges in Judges chapter three. The judge is named Ehud, and the king of Moab is Eglon, and he was really fat. And the way he died was actually kind of entertaining. So if you want to catch up on that story, that's in Judges chapter three. Um, But even though God had delivered people of Israel from the hand of Moab in Judges chapter 3, by Judges chapter 10 and 11, they're back to worshiping the gods of Moab. So, we like to think that we're smarter than this, but I would just say that maybe the seeds of sin that make us think that we're better than them might lead us to make the same mistakes. So as, we are going to, as we're going to look at the book of Ruth, we're going to look at the nation of Moab. I want to give you the big idea up front because I'm going to cover a lot of material and it can be easy to get lost. Here's the big idea of the book of Ruth. God makes a way through every conceivable obstacle. And there are significant obstacles. We've been looking at the book of Judges. It's, 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 it's crazy. But God makes a way through every conceivable obstacle obstacle. Sinful people who consistently rebel, God makes a way. God makes a way. So as we are are beginning, I would like to pause together and pray together. I'd like to pray the disciples' prayer together. I've got it up here on the screen if you're not familiar with it, but let's pause and pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The book of Ruth begins with a woman. It begins with her husband, but he dies real quick. So spoiler alert. Uh, Begins with a woman. Her name is Naomi. Can you say Naomi? Naomi Naomi means pleasant, means nice, means fun to be in a room with. That's her name, Naomi. But she's an Israelite, and she's uh, she's married, and she has two kids, and. In the time of the judges, there's a famine in the land. We're not quite sure when within the 800 period this happens, but there's a famine in her hometown in Bethlehem. And they leave and go to the the nation of Moab because they hear that there's food in Moab. And when they get to Moab, her husband dies. And she's like, okay. Her two boys marry Moabite women. Okay, like at least I've got guys that can put food on the table. Things are going to be fine. We'll get through this. I may not like the daughters in law so much. Maybe, I don't know. But we're going to get through this. Then her sons both die. And she's left a widow having buried her two sons and stuck with her daughter's in-law. Which is the ideal situation for anybody ever, right? We love being stuck with our in-laws. no. Naomi looks at her life and says, God, you've taken everything from me. Like, this is a time where women didn't have the ability to go and and get a job and work and provide for themselves in the same way. The the society wasn't structured in a way that she could provide for herself. So she had lost everything. She lost her husband who would provide for her. She's lost her two boys that were going to provide for her. And all she has is two dependents and an empty belly. And she turns to her two dependents and she says to her daughters, look, I got nothing for you. Even, even if I happen to find a guy and, and we happen to have a family together, are you going to wait 18 years for my sons to grow up so that you can be married to them? Like, that's kind of weird anyway. Like, I've got nothing for you. It's time for you to move on. Go back to your family in Moab and, and, and we'll let bygones be bygones. We're going our separate ways. And the one daughter, Orpah, o, Orpah, excuse me, Orpah, says, okay, bye, see ya. And goes back to her home and goes back to her gods. But Ruth doesn't. Ruth sticks around. She says, Naomi, wherever you go, I will go, and your God will be my God. Which is a big statement coming from a Moabite. Someone who... Who had no reason to trust Naomi's God, particularly given that their God had, had allowed them to go into captivity under Moab for a while, and now the God couldn't even provide food for his people. He'd allowed this famine to happen. And so for Ruth to say, you know what, forget those Moabite gods, I'm gonna go and follow your God, is actually a big deal. And you know what Ruth or you know what Naomi's response is? Please don't! Please leave. I've got nothing for you. Like, I'm I'm destitute. I'm going to do the best I can to try and make ends meet, but I can't take on another different... Leave! Go! And Ruth will not be deterred. Naomi, who is pleasant, at the end of this chapter, as she comes back into town, her hometown in Bethlehem, isn't this Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. God has taken everything from me. Call me Mara." Call me bitterness. God's taken everything from me. i got nothing to go on, and I can't even shake this daughter, daughter-in-law off. Call me Mara. Sometimes it's God's grace that empties our hands, but how we respond to that makes all the difference. Naomi initially responds with bitterness, and bitterness leads us to minimize the help that God has already sent. Bitterness looks at what we don't have and fixates on what we don't have to the neglect of the blessings that God has already given. We don't know much about Ruth, but we'll find out in the next chapters, and we do find out in the next chapters, that she's going to work real hard. And she's going to be able to provide for Naomi in a way that Naomi never could. And so God has provided this, this daughter in law who's going to be better to her than a son. And she's trying to chase him away. I'm so bitter at God. I'm so angry at God. Get out of my house. I don't want you here. But she's the one that God's going to use to help her. Bitterness leads us to minimize the help that God has already sent. So what has God made room for in our lives? We've lost a lot of physical contact with people. We've lost the ability for a long time to gather together. We've lost the ability to go to work normally. God has emptied our hands in a lot of ways. And how have we chosen to fill them again? Have we chosen to entertain ourselves to death? To just stay plugged into Netflix and make sure that we don't have to think about the problems in the world? Or have we said, God, you've you've I've, I've complained for so long that my life is too busy and you've made me less busy and now maybe I should like actually get to spend some time with you. Sometimes God in his grace empties our hands and it seems like he's done that. But what are we going to fill them with now that we have this opportunity? Will we look at the blessings that God has already provided or will we be filled with bitterness at the way that things were not? Ruth and Naomi moved back home, they moved to Bethlehem again, and um, there's an interesting system, I I hesitate to call it welfare, because it isn't welfare, but in the nation of Israel they had a way to provide for the poor. It was an agricultural society, and so everybody had a field, and that was how you made your food. Like, you made your food, you didn't make your food, you didn't eat. Well, people who owned the fields were not allowed to harvest their fields all the way. They would would leave the edges of the fields unharvested, and then those who were poor, those who didn't own fields, could come and they could glean, they could harvest what they could carry in their hands in order to be able to eat. And so, Naomi sends Ruth out to get some bread, like, you need to go and get some grain, we're going to make some bread, so go. And Naomi just happens, accidentally, to end up in the field of a guy named Boaz. Now, this is a time of the judges, like nobody is doing, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, but somehow God has led this young lady to the field of Boaz, who's a guy who actually follows Yahweh. He's been faithful to Yahweh. You hear it in his speech, the way he talks, he says his greetings are greetings in the Lord, in Yahweh, and and he's, he's compassionate. He notices his workers. Because he's looking at his fields, he's looking at the people who are working, and he notices Ruth. He says, "Who is that? I haven't seen her before. What's her story?" He, he he's compassionate, and he says, "Okay, look, look, uh, Ruth. I know you're new. I know you're new in town. Um, I don't know if you know what's going on in the country. Like people are just kind of doing whatever it is that they want. So it's kind of dangerous for you to be out alone." But I know what you're doing. You're taking care of your mother-in-law. And so what I'm going to do is I'm instructing all of my field hands, all the people who work for me, if they touch you, I'm going to take care of them. (laughs) I'm going to protect you. So don't go to anybody else's field. Just come here because it's not safe and I will keep you safe. And then as she's going home, he loads her up with more food than what she collected. He gives her an additional blessing. He's providing for what she needs. You see, he's committed to Yahweh. And it goes deeper than just a sign in his front yard that says he's got faith over fear. It characterizes how he speaks to people. It characterizes to how he looks at the people who are working for him. And it characterizes his generosity. He is faithful to Yahweh in a time when no one was. Which is astonishing. And it just so happens that that's the field that Ruth ends up in. See, bitterness might lead us to minimize the help that God has already sent. And sometimes, God gives us hope through life-giving friendships. Sometimes, the people that are closest to us, our friends, are the people that we overlook, the people that we run away from, the people that we don't want to hear from because we know what they're going to say. Sometimes, God gives us hope through life-giving friendships. So, who do we surround ourselves with? When we get upset, when we, when we feel like God has abandoned us, when we feel like there's no hope, do we reject God and all of the friends that God has given us that are going to point us to Him? Or do we run and turn to people who are going to tell us what we want to hear and tell us that we're justified to feel the way that we feel and tell us that we should just do what we want because that's the best thing to do anyway? Who do we surround ourselves with? Because oftentimes God will give us hope through life-giving friendship. And that's what he set up with Ruth and Boaz. Now, Ruth comes home uh, with a basket of food. And she says, what happened today? Naomi says, what, 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 what is going on here? Like you're you're just supposed to glean for a day. How did you come back with all of this? How did you come back with with wine? Like you're just supposed to be able to pick barley. Like this is this is this is unusual. What 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 happened? Tell me what happened. And she says, Oh well, I ended up in the, this field of this guy named Boaz. And Naomi says, Oh Boaz, I know Boaz. We're old, like we're cousins. We're we're family. Yeah, that's great that you end up with Boaz. Like I can't believe that that happened. And 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 suddenly you can see a, a glimmer of hope in Naomi's eyes. It's funny, she tells everybody in the story to call her Mara, call me bitterness, but the text never does. And here you begin to see, she says, oh my gosh, I can't believe this thing because we, we don't have the same system of welfare, of caring for the poor that the Israelites did. The, there's another component of that that gets technical and uh, can be kind of uncomfortable for us to think about. But here's how it worked. Because women didn't have an opportunity to provide for themselves, if their husband died, a relative, a close relative could marry them and, and take on the husband's name to provide sons for the woman who had lost her husband. It's a little bit strange, but that was the system and how it worked. Where your, your brother-in-law or his cousin or some other family member would take a woman who had lost his wife and raise up sons for the deceased husband. And Naomi's been so focused on everything that she lost, and now that she's seeing Boaz be kind to Ruth, she goes, I forgot. Maybe God can provide for us this way. And Naomi says to Ruth, yeah, go to Boaz's field. Hang out with Boaz. Like, maybe Boaz can be our, the name for this was kinsman redeemer. Maybe he can help us get out of this straight. And in fact, Naomi pushes Ruth to do that. There's an interesting story as it develops in chapter three, where they're doing the harvest and they're on the threshing floor. And threshing and bringing in the harvest was actually kind of a party; like it was a good time, and every, you're bringing in all this money. It's like when you get a really good paycheck, you're a little bit more free with how you spend it. And so, during the threshing time, Naomi says to Ruth, "Why don't you go? Why don't you go and tell uh, go and tell Boaz that?" we would like for him to consider this redeeming thing. And so she gets herself cleaned up. She gets herself prettied up. She goes to where the threshing is happening. She waits until everybody's asleep, and she lays down at his feet, and he wakes up, and there's a woman at his feet, and he's wondering how much he had had to drink. But he's an honest man, and he's saying, what are you doing here? And she says, well, I, I, I need to come under your covering. Like, I, we're out here by ourselves, and, and you are a relative, and you could redeem me. Can you? Would you be willing to consider marrying me, which is just uh, strange proposal. But Boaz says, look, like, yeah, I'm a relative, but I actually know of a guy who is a closer relative to you. And so this right, this privilege of kinsman redeemer actually belongs to him. Because not only did you get the wife, but you got the inheritance of the dead guy. You got his farm in addition to the wife. So I need. To, there's some legal things I need to take care of, but Here, take this. Take take some of my feast that I prepared for my guys. Take this home. You and Naomi enjoy this. And so she comes home with another basket of food. And she tells Naomi everything that happened. And Naomi says, all right, let's see what God is going to do. And so Boaz shows up where they do all of their legal proceedings. For us, it would be a courthouse. For them, it was the city gate. So everybody would sit in benches along this gate, they would do their business, and it was kind of an open-air forum where it's, you can't hide what was done because everybody heard it. Everybody who was walking in and out of the gate could hear what was going on, and Boaz shows up, and he talks to this other guy and says, Hey, did you know that Naomi's uh, husband is gone, and that you're the next one in line to be able to redeem this property? Do you want his farm?" And the guy says, well, I, yeah, I mean, I could consider it. Like, yeah, I could probably make that work. That would be all right. He says, okay, well, when you, when you redeem the farm, you'll also get Ruth to raise up children for her lost husband. And here's where it begins to get sticky. We can't see the details in the text, but I'm, I just want to tell you, like, to raise up children for somebody else means you, you, you have to rearrange your own inheritance. So your own sons, if you have them, fall in secondary positions for your inheritance because you have taken on somebody else. And so he's willing to take the farm, but he isn't really willing to take the wife. He's got to protect his own name. He says, you know what, uh, you know what? I, you know what? I, I pass on my right to redeem the, the farm. Uh, it's not really in my cards right now. And Boaz says, well, give me your sandal, which is a way of... Uh, the exchange in the contract, they didn't really sign papers, paper wasn't really a thing, the thing that you carried with you all the time was your sandals, so they exchanged sandals, um, and made a legal agreement that Boaz inherited the right to redeem the farm and to take Ruth as his wife. See, see, this guy, whoever he was, we don't know his name, which I think is fascinating, just as he was the closer relative, but we don't know his name because he was looking to preserve his name. When he realized that he was going to have to raise up children for, for, for Ruth's husband, he said, I can't, I, I got to watch out for my own boys. I got to take care of my own. I'm doing, you know, I'm in a, a nation in a time where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes and I got to protect what's mine. But we know Boaz's name, which we shouldn't. If he married Ruth and raised up children for Ruth's deceased husband, then Boaz's name should have been erased from history. But it's not. We know it. And here we see that God remembers those who build others up. I don't know whether Boaz had other sons at the time, but I do know that he chose to build someone else up. It was within his means to to build someone else up at the cost of his own reputation, at the cost of his own name. And here we see that God remembers those who build others up. Who would Jesus love through us if we paid no mind to our own reputation? If we didn't care what it would look like for us to be associated with those people? Or if we weren't so concerned about being in that neighborhood or living in that district Who would Jesus love if we're not concerned about our own reputation? As God remembers those who build others up. Not just others. Remember, where did Ruth come from? Israel? Jerusalem? Was she a Jew? She was from Moab. She was a foreigner. She was a pagan, and yet she had chosen to follow Naomi, and for her God to be, for Naomi's God to be her God. While the nation of Israel is spinning in this cycle of sin, God says, you know what, I need need to bring in somebody else this person will be faithful to me, and I found the one dude in all of the nation who's still faithful to me, and I'm going to put them together and see what happens with a couple that's faithful to me. And here's where I remind you that God makes a way through every conceivable obstacle. Mara never really embraced Mara, God walked with her through her bitterness to bring her back to a place of pleasantness. And Ruth and Boaz had a son. Naomi is provided for. Ruth is provided for. But this is more than just a story about how God worked contrary to everything that was happening in the nation. It is a story of God working contrary to everything that's happening in the nation. At a time where everybody's doing what was right in their own eyes, there were some people who were faithful to God and were trying to follow the law to the best that they were able to. They were honoring Yahweh with their speech and their generosity and with their protection of one another. It was happening. But why? God makes a way through every conceivable obstacle. This is a great story, but so what? I want to read for you the last a couple of sentences in Ruth chapter 4. And I'm putting it up on the screen here. This is really intense, really theological work we're going to do right here. So I might have to go slow. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that God brought a Moabitess into the nation of Israel and preserved her faith? If we were reading this story for the first time in the Hebrew as Hebrew people, it would be like, these sentences would be like to us, this is the story of Lawrence and Mildred. What do you mean, Lawrence and Mildred? Lawrence and Mildred had Augustine and Mary. Like, well, well, great. So, like, We're still kind of confused. This is the passage where we learn their last name. Lawrence and Mildred Washington gave birth to Augustine, and he married Mary Washington, who together had George Washington. For the people who were reading this story they like it's oh this is where that came this is their story this is how God was working in the midst of a crooked and corrupt generation to make sure that there was a good king to sit on the throne in Israel this David is the same David who would be the good king in Israel the second king after Saul Which is the time we're getting ready to move into. We're moving out of Judges from a time where there was no king in Israel to a time where God set up a king who was after his own heart. And through his promises to this King David, through his bloodline and his genealogy that we have here, beginning in verse 18, if we go a couple more great, 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 great grandchildren, we come to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not just a story about what's happening in a dark time in Israel. This is the story of our Savior's great, 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 etc. grandparents. And the story of God's grace in a time where the people wanted nothing to do with him. And that's why, as we've gone through the book of Judges, I've, I've made an effort to point us to the gospel. When we're looking at sin, it can be really discouraging and overwhelming. But but all of this, everything that's going on is pointing and moving us towards this hope of, of redemption that we have in a, sh- in a small way through David, but in an ultimate way through Jesus. Jesus is the King of Israel, but not just the King of Israel. He becomes the King of the whole world. We will say it together as we close. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the King of all things. It will be my will on earth here as it is in heaven. And so not only does Naomi get to smile at her grandson, but we get to smile in the presence of Jesus our Savior because of the work that God was doing through normal people, average people, people who had nothing to commend themselves except that they chose in a dark time to be faithful to Yahweh. So what will be said of us at this time where God has emptied our hands? In a time where the nation seems, if it were possible, even more divided than normal. Who will we be in this time? Will we be in the way of what God is doing Or will we be be working with him through it? Because God makes a way through every conceivable obstacle. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you keep track of the work that you're doing in people. Lord as we've gone through a lot of material, God, I, I, I pray um, that you would put in us the desire to get to know you and the stories that you've told through the, throughout the generations. And God as we learn and as we grow in knowledge, Lord, would you help us to grow in spiritual uh, spiritual in the fruit of your spirit? God, that our knowledge would not lead to arrogance and and, and anger, but that our knowledge would lead to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness to your name, gentleness, self-control. Would you lead us to lay down our reputation for the good of our neighbor? And would you empower us by our spirit to be able to do that? Lord, we thank you for this time together. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.